One of the many important decisions confronting new parents is what shall we call our baby? Some new parents have the name planned out well in advance, while others of us spend hours debating the question. We all realize that names matter. Will our new baby be named after mom or dad or a grandparent or a favorite friend? Should we choose a name that happens to be popular at the moment on television or is the name of our favorite country singer? Or should we just pick a name that sounds good? My wife Jan and I have been through this process three times. Naming our firstborn wasn't so terribly difficult. We named him Matthew after one grandfather and a middle name of Charles after two other grandfathers. It took us a couple of days of looking at him to confirm that decision so that the hospital could quit calling him baby boy, but we finally did it. During the months before our daughter Jill was born, we were pretty sure that our guess was correct and that she would be a girl. We had a few different names picked out, but we were pretty sold on the name we chose. Our third child was going to be born in early December, and again, we didn't find out ahead of time, so we were picking out both boys' and girls' names. And I can assure you that we didn't give in to the seasonal names like Noel Joy or Merry Christmas. But we did narrow the girl list down to two choices for a girl and one for a boy, and we decided to wait until he or she came and see what, the na what name seemed to fit. When she did turn out to be a little girl, we couldn't still quite decide, so we brought her brother and sister to the hospital. We stood them up in the nursery window, and we let them pick between the new names, and so they chose Whitney. We had a difficult time with naming our kids in a way because names are important. And once you pick out a name for your child, they'll be stuck with it for a long, long time. Babies have no voice in the selection of their names. They have to live with them, to live them down or live them up. Names are important because sometimes we tend to become what our name represents. And every so often we'll run across a person with multiple names like Charles, Philip, Arthur, George, Windsor. Sounds kind of odd until you discover that it's Prince Charles. And if you say that, a heavy load to lay on a baby, remember he's royalty. I guess he needs a long name. Names are important. So it was with Jesus. Even before his birth, he was a child with many names. The prophet Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesying that Messiah would have four names. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now this verse reveals four names for Jesus, and each one under, un, unlocks an aspect of his character. One of the traditional Christmas carols is said in the form of a question, and the first line is this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And if today that may be your question in your mind, who is this child that we celebrate in this season? I invite you to listen to Isaiah's divinely inspired answer. These four names speak to us about wisdom, about power, about security and assurance. First, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Literally, this title means a wonder of a counselor, and it speaks of the wisdom of God's plan. 
The word wonderful means astonishing or extraordinary, and the writers of the Old Testament used it for acts of God which humans can't understand. The word counselor means advisor or ideal ruler. First, this simply tells us that Jesus is a reliable counselor. Those who come to him will not be led astray. There are a lot of people who make their living giving advice to others, but none of them can claim perfection. Some therapists and counselors make hundreds of dollars an hour for their counsel, and much of it is good, but it's not always perfect. But God goes to no one for advice, and when we come to him, he promises to give us the counsel that we need. Christ is therefore the perfect teacher. He is the ultimate counselor. This gives us insight into how he works. The Bible says that God's plans are not our plans, and his ways are not our ways. He will accomplish things beyond our human comprehension. He will do it in ways that we can't even fathom. The record of the New Testament is that Jesus did the greatest work ever accomplished, and he did it successfully. Death on a cross would not be our way to victory and to life and to healing, but it was God's plan, and the Lord carried it out perfectly. Let me apply this truth another way. As the wonderful counselor, our Lord gives wholesome direction to his people. Those who follow Jesus will not walk in darkness, but in the brightness of day. In this tiny baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, we see the wisdom of God. He is our wonderful counselor. Second, his name will be called Mighty God. This speaks of the power of accomplishment, first of all, because he is, it's a statement of deity. This baby born in a manger was not just the Son of God, he was God the Son. All the fullness of God was in the person of Jesus Christ, and the ancient creeds declare it. He was very God of very God. That can never be said of any mere human baby. There's something else important in this title. The word translated mighty means strong one, powerful, valiant warrior. So the term mighty God is actually kind of a military title. It tells us that he is the God who fights for his people. He is the God who defends his people. The word incarnation means that God took the form of human flesh and he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could see what God is like. And that's why another one of his names is Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Now let's put the first two titles together as the wonderful counselor, God makes the plans. As the mighty God, he makes the plans work. All of God's wonderful plans will be carried out with infinite power and might. It was in this little baby all the strength of deity. The power of God was in his hands. The omnipotence of God was at his command, and whatever he desired, he was able to achieve. I apply it to my own life this way. When we meet Jesus, we meet God. If he is not the mighty God, then we are deceived, and it makes no sense for us to be worshiping him. There is no middle ground here. If he is not God, we are fools to worship him. And if he is God, we are fools not to. Some of you may remember the renowned astronomer Carl Sagan. He is best remembered for his famous PBS series, Cosmos, in which he promoted his evolutionary views, especially the notion that the universe is billions and billions years old. He repeatedly said that he didn't believe in the afterlife. However, he also said that he wasn't an atheist because he didn't know enough to rule out the possibility of God. 
Carl Sagan died in 1996 at the age of 62, and I'm pretty sure he's not a skeptic any longer. See, the moment we leave this life and meet our Creator, we are neither atheist or agnostic any longer. For we will meet the mighty God, the one some of us refuse to worship in this life. In that light, let me repeat what I just said a moment ago about Jesus. If he is not God, then we are fools to worship him. If he is God, we are fools not to. You see, if Jesus was just a man, then all we do here at Christmas is in vain. At this point, it is important that we not give in to the sentimental nonsense that makes Christmas a kind of feel-good ecumenical holiday. Christmas is the great dividing line in the human race. No wonder some people want, to mention, want all mention of Christmas to be taken out of our public life. But at some level, they understand that Christmas is based on the belief that at Bethlehem, God in human flesh was born. If that's not true, then we're not only wasting our time tonight, we are actually deluded and deceived. But if he is the mighty God, then when we trust in him, we are relying on God himself. This life is a constant battle between good and evil. It's a battle of cosmic proportions. Satan and sin will try it every day to defeat us, but the mighty God has already defeated them. Third, his name will be called Everlasting Father. In the original Hebrew language, the phrase is literally translated the Father of Eternity. And it speaks of the purpose of Jesus coming uh, to earth. He is before, he is above, and he is beyond all time. He is the possessor of eternity, and yet like an earthly father to his people. This is a statement about the character of our Lord. The Bible says that all the that a good father is to his children, Jesus is to his people. Because Jesus is like a loving parent, he cares for us. And because he owns eternity, he can give us eternal life. That's so important for those of us who live in this fallen world, because none of us lives forever. Sooner or later, we will all leave this life behind. We're not immortal. We are transitory. We're all here today and gone tomorrow. The dead Christ would do us no good. So it's important for, under, for us to understand that God is eternal and he will not abandon us. He is a father forever. That's important to me because I had a father who is now gone. He was a good man, but he was not going to be around forever. I too am a father to my three children, but I will not be able to be their father forever. All human fathers have limits, but Jesus will be around forever. He's just what we need. When my kids need something, I'm quick to try and help them. If they need me, I'll go to them. I will always love them and try to do right by them. They're my kids. They bear my name. But what, what I am is in a poor way to them, Jesus is in a perfect way to all who believe in him. And then the fourth name... and that Isaiah mentions is Prince of Peace. The phrase literally means the prince whose coming brings peace. This speaks of the effect of his coming, the final title to the epitome of all that has gone before. The word peace uh, or prince simply means something like general of the army, a high position. And the word peace speaks of his basic nature. If you pay any attention to the news, you quickly realize that battles are being waged all over this globe. There are ethnic conflicts, there are tribal wars, there are tensions in every corner of our world. 
Closer to home, not a day goes by without word that someone else has been a victim of crime in one of our cities. We see so much violence that it no longer surprises us or sometimes even bothers us. We've grown immune to it because we live in a violent world. Isaiah 9.6 tells us that God's plan for the world is peace. And it's focused around one person. A baby asleep in a manger in Bethlehem that we celebrate in this Christmas season. He's the ultimate peacemaker. In the past, his coming made peace with God. In the present, those who come to him find peace in their heart when Christ comes in. And in the future, his coming again will usher in a kingdom of peace. There's no, there is no peace today. Instead, we have strife, we have bloodshed, but Jesus is not the failure, we are. Peace is a wonderful thing, but it's hard to find in our world. It's worth working for, it's worth waiting for. God's ultimate plan for peace rests not with treaties or lessons or progress or material prosperity. God's plan for peace is in the maker of peace, Jesus Christ. One writer put it this way, the methods of Christ are methods of peace. The people of Christ are people of peace. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of peace, and the principles of Christ are principles of peace. And to know him is to know blessing and happiness. To live without him will ultimately be regretful and miserable. He's not a warrior. He's not a greedy conqueror. He's not an empire builder. Jesus came to bring peace. And many of us tonight desperately want and need peace in our lives and in our relationships. In this tiny baby, we see the peace of God welcomed by angels and shepherds. He is the Prince of Peace. In this one verse from the prophecy of Isaiah, we have four names for Jesus. And this is what it means for us today. If you're feeling confused, he is a mighty counselor. If you're feeling weak, he is the mighty God. If you're feeling scared, he is the everlasting father. If you're feeling distressed, he is the prince of peace. A quick story. The year was 1809 and a traveler was passing through the state of Kentucky. He stopped at a store and he asked, anything happened around here lately? No, nothing ever happens around here was the reply. Except there was a baby born out at the Lincoln cabin last night, that's all. Just a baby at the Lincoln cabin, Abraham Lincoln. You never know what happens in the world because a baby is born. And I doubt that the innkeeper in Bethlehem knew who he was turning away when he said, there's no room in my inn. Even Mary couldn't fully imagine what it would mean that night to be carrying the Savior of the world in her body. But that baby has become the centerpiece of human history. We even divide time itself by his coming, B.C. and A.D. What child is this? He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. But maybe the most important part of our verse is the first two words, and that is the words, unto us. You see, the gift of Christ is a personal gift from God, but a gift requires a response. If I put a gift under your tree, You may acknowledge it, you may admire it, you may even thank me for it, but it isn't yours until you open it and until you take it for your own. See, God has a Christmas gift waiting for you, not wrapped in bright paper or fancy ribbon, but in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And it is the gift of his son, 
It is for you, but the gift must be personally received. You will never truly understand or even enjoy Christmas and all that it means until you look in God's face and tell him that you have received the gift. Have you done that? In the Carol, a uh, little town of Bethlehem, Philip Brooks has a verse that makes the point. He says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, dear Christ enters in. And so he does. And may that be each of our experience this Christmas. Let's pray. God, we confess that you are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. You understand what it's like to walk in our shoes. And you understand the difficulties in our lives. It's still a mystery to us why you love us so much, but you do. There are some here tonight that need that love. And so I pray that they will humble themselves before you and ask Christ to forgive them from their wrongdoing and then open their hearts to the love that is flowing their way. And God, as we go from this place tonight, I pray that your spirit will continue to whisper to us in this world of chaos, grant us your peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.